Romans 12, 1. Uh, I like when, when God begins to confirm things of the dismissed worship team. But I never tell a worship team or a worship leader what I'm going to preach about. I just pray that I'll be led by the Spirit. We talk about and the song, two folk songs, God's presence. Your presence is heaven to me. Well, the series we're going to talk about, probably five or six sermons here until probably August, is I'm entering God's presence. God's presence. Well, have it. Romans 12, 1. It reads, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and of course, when I say brothers, I mean sisters too, in the view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Father, we thank you. God, I ask that you would help us, Lord, to, to really understand who you are and to come into your presence to, to really meet you, not just a, a concept that a preacher shares or, or, or a faith that some profess. It's way beyond that. That there will be a personal introduction for every individual here of who you are that you're alive, and that you ask us to do something. Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you're going to take your chair. I think one of the benefits I had when I came to the Lord, a couple of things, two things that I found very fortunate, I wasn't planned, but first, was when I came to the Lord, I got out of the military. So that I learned obedience and how to follow orders. And everything I learned in the military can directly uh, cross over into the ministry. Except, you know, blowing up tanks. <laughs> but everything else did. The second thing was um, I was a musician and I understood the power of music. Music can, can make a group of people completely rebellious. Music can make a group, a group of people completely humble and somber, sad. There was a, a movie and there was a deal with Ray Charles very interesting, and the crowd was going crazy. They were rude and obnoxious, just going wild. And then, and Ray Charles is up there, and they're just going off. And the one guy said, Dim the lights. And they dimmed the light, he goes, I'll play the music. And, and they started going. And as they dimmed the lights and the music went, the, the wild crowd and everything calmed down. And I said, That's the power of music. There's also the discipline. So I come into the Lord, and fortunately for me, I met Jesus. I, I didn't meet a person who said, hey, Jesus loves you, and if you give your life to him, like, he'll change your life. That didn't, that didn't fly with me very well. 
you know, all the time. No. All right, people came up to me, and I, I was the kind of guy who was really rude and cuss at them and show them pictures of naked women just to get them off me. But I was just, just, just rude, evil. But I met Jesus. Yeah, come on. And when I met Jesus, oh, everything changed. I'm a whole other man. I began to understand something about myself, but more importantly, I knew that if I was going to meet and, and deal with it, I had to really worship him. And not just through music, but worship. See, worship is vital yeah. for our life. Yeah. You know, not just music, here on the surface, which is important. But a person of a sound mind is a worshiper. In fact, it's a, it's a, a research fact that Christians, true Christians, not people who go to church, Christians are the most mentally stable people in the planet. They're mentally stable. Those outside of Christianity are not. Those inside are the most mentally stable people. Because we know the world, the world always seeks help from a psychiatrist or something, right? Don't or, or drugs, or alcohol, martini, whatever you call it, but the world is always seeking help from a psychiatrist. So when I, when I think of a psychiatrist, I always, I always think of this thing that pops in my head. There's several reasons why you know it's time to leave your psychiatrist. Certain reasons. Number one, your psychiatrist says enough about your mother, let's talk about mine. <laughs> the second reason why you know it's time to leave your psychiatrist is I'm changing your meds because these little pink pills are cuter. <laughs> Number three, if you ask me, you're crazier than a loon. Oh, <laughs> Okay, the number four reason why you know it's time to leave your psychiatrist, I can see now just why your wife wants to leave you. <laughs> number five, before we treat your depression, I need you to clean out my garage. <laughs> number six, are you ready? You think you got problems? My Porsche needs a battery. <laughs> <laughs> number six, you know it's time to leave when your psychiatrist says, you think you're fat? Because you are. <laughs> what am I saying? You don't have to go to a psychiatrist for help. Jesus was there in your time of need. So we have to learn how to walk into his presence to get the answers. The root. Now remember, the answers you get may not be the answers you want. But when you come into his presence, yeah. these are the answers you need. So we have to make the most of our worship experience of the life that we're walking. But for whatever reason, I don't know, some people just don't take advantage of worship. Hmm? Now, granted, when you first walk to the Lord, people don't know what worship is. Now, that's one reason why we have a worship service. You have music and everything to help you along to teach you how to worship. But really, you should be worshiping, taking that music and everything with you at home. Worship because it's easier. Listen, the mind, the human mind is a little, little difficult. It's easier to remember a melody than it is to memorize scripture. So the worship service helps you in your day to day walk. Amen. Hmm? You take it with you. You hum a song. You ever wake up in the morning with a song stuck in your head? Worship. And some people don't take, a, don't take advantage of a simple service, a simple time. Worship. See, without true worship, the world, everything around you, can overtake you. 
So when I think of walking this presence, there's four, I have a fourfold objective in mind. So I need us, I mean, you should, we want to the next five sermons to examine the, what the Bible teaches about worship. Number two, how does one deepen intimacy with God through worship? And number three, worship, if you're really worshiping, worshiping leads to obedience, not to worship. So in other words, worship doesn't mean more worship. Worship means more obedience. That's right. That's right. And number four, to learn to express our love to God with others with boldness and being vulnerable. You know, some people say, oh, my, my, my relationship with God is personal. No, that's not, that's not, I don't, I don't find that like that. It's also personal. I don't want to share with them. No, no, The Bible says go. Paul says when he's speaking to his disciples there, he says, my life is an open book for all to read. So you know my good deeds. You know what I've done. So he's, he's transparent. No book. Well, today's society is, oh, you keep religion at home. Don't, don't talk religion. Don't talk politics. Don't talk the things that affect you the most. Don't talk about them. Your religion and your politics. And people fall for it. They, they go along with the lie. So, what are we going to do? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, it's a very familiar portion of scripture. Isaiah writes there in verse 1 of chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the reign of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, having, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now interesting, it says the angel. Can you imagine what would happen if you saw an angel with six wings? Probably go check your meds. Those pink pills that psychiatrist gave me is messing me up. Call an angel. Let's keep moving. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. So Isaiah tells us two unique things. You find a perfect example of what happened when people worshiped when they truly worship, right? He was there, he's worshiping the God, and he says, he's seen an angel. Now, I've not seen an angel in that vein, but I have been in a worship experience that has just transformed me, delivered me instantly from drug addiction, violence, crime, you name it, just instantly, July 21st, 1985, instantly, from that moment on, I stopped everything that I was doing. Not, not, it didn't take me, oh, I have to recover, I have to go to treatment and therapy and all. No, 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 no. When I met Jesus, it stopped. It stopped. 
So I, as a person, I'm not God, I don't know how God wants to everybody, but as a person, I have a hard time saying and talking to a person says, I've met Jesus, and they can't stop. They have to continue in their lifestyle. They have to continue to lie. They have to continue to cheat. They have to continue all these things. Why? Because Jesus hasn't worked in that part of my life yet. That's a lie. Jesus worked in every part of your life the moment he died on the cross. Amen. Amen. He said, it's finished. He didn't say, it's begun. So Isaiah helps understand the process of worship that God desires. So the only thing I can attribute that to is that when we come to Jesus, we, we avoid this process that I'm talking about. We want it, we're hurting, but we don't, we don't go through the process. We, 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 we tip there and we say, whoa, wait a minute. Is that really God? That's too heavy for me. We get too deep. And many just, just back up. They don't run from God, but they surely don't get closer. Mm. In fact, they're on the side of a heavenly pool, just sticking their toes in. Watching everybody else. The true worship comes through to us through a process. Isaiah chapter 6 deals with that process. Clearer, more, this process here is more the best description. It's not no clearer or more, more beautiful than any other passage in the scripture. So if you look through what Isaiah went through, we, we, we have to remember I need to go through a process. The first thing that happened is there was a revelation of God. Now, like I said, I knew about God all my life, you know. I got kicked out of the Catholic Church, kicked out in the second grade, kicked out of catechism. I, I couldn't make my hat for confirmation, you know what I'm saying? I was done. When the nuns tell, start, start telling you that you're the son of the devil and you're in second grade, you know something wrong. Possibly, keep it occurred. But I knew it was about some kind of God, I knew it was some kind of thing, but I didn't know who God was. The true worship should reveal God to the worshiper. Yep. Yep. God's revelation during Isaiah's worship experience. Look at there in verse 1, it mentions King Uzziah, that he died. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Boom. Now, think about that. Here he is. And then he never described any other time where he had saw the Lord. He had knew about the Lord. He was serving the Lord. He was taught by his teachers. Right? He was under the tutelage of, of his instructors. He was, he was faithful to God. He had a position of God. But it wasn't until chapter 6 that he said, I saw the Lord. Wow. Something took place that brought in the presence of God. People say, oh, I want your presence. Do you? Wow. See, Jared K., when he died, some of you were very young, in 1964, I think it was 64, John Kennedy died. There was a CBS News correspondent by the name of Dottie Lynch, and she says this, my dad cried that weekend, the whole weekend, and my husband cried last night. Real tears, real sadness. Despite the years, the story is gripping and the shock and the horror are still close to the surface. 
In other words, that experience was so brutal for them that when they even talk about it now, they weep. You ever had that kind of experience? Or if you talk about it now, it just brings that same emotion out so, so hard. I often tell my wife, I wish my pastor were alive. Because there's times in ministry these last 13 years since his death that the things I just don't get. And he was an elder. As you see, he was an elder. He had, he had access to the man, Pastor Sonny. And I could say, Pastor, what's up with this? And, and, and he can clarify things. He can, he can quantify things. But there, he's not here. He's dead. But every time I think about it, the pain of what happened at 54, Services. I don't even like talking about now, so let's move on. The significance here can best understood here with Jose when people lack leadership. And that's what I'm talking about. When I was talking about my pastor, I, I was on my own. I didn't have the leadership that I was accustomed to. Here, King Uzziah had been on the throne for decades. He had been a good king. The people loved him. Isaiah loved him. The people found security in his leadership. He had been the one in which they had placed their security. They trusted him. And as a country goes, so does the leader when they have a good leader. Hmm? So they, they looked at him. It was in that year that uh, I, Isaiah's friend, leader, died. And he was in pain. Listen, he was in pain excruciating pain the loss of a loved one and what happens he says it was that year I saw the Lord see sometimes we look at pain trouble trial tribulation as a bad thing but listen when you are going to see the Lord it normally happens without exception when there's tribulation well we don't look to God when things are rosy, we haven't made the shade with lemonade. Oh, my friend. But when you're going through, yeah. when there's pain unspeakable, when no words can heal you, when no words can help you, when nothing else can suffice, all of a sudden we begin to really look. Really look at God. Look for God. Now, do we have to wait for that? We shouldn't, but it seems that most often we do. Yeah. Revelation, so you have to be, God has to reveal himself, you have to be open to revelation. Revelation is assisted by tribulation. In the midst of feeling the emptiness, in the middle of feeling void, it was in that process, it's part of the process. Is anybody going through it? When you're in the process, there's no other way to really see God. Why? Because the things of this world will keep you occupied. And actually, the thing, the more you get, the less you look. In that process, the evidence that God revealed himself to Isaiah. It was in the process of feeling the need. I need something significant to happen, God. In that process, God revealed himself. And, and, then, and listen, he may have revealed himself in the past, right? But he doesn't give you all of him because we can't handle all of them. He gives you just enough to get you to where you are today. Yes, yes. And he's got to give you more. 
I always tell people those 40 days when I was in the hospital and I thought I was going to die were the worst of times and the best of times. Why? Because in those days, in the late and the midnight hour, when I was afraid to go to sleep because I thought I was not going to wake up, God would speak to me. Yeah. God would come to me. No. And he would tell me things that I've never ever thought about anymore. He would reveal to me why he saved me, why he delivered me, and why he put me in his hospital room, and why he's going to heal me, and how it's going to happen. Yes. The process. See, after the need, Isaiah went to the temple to worship. Have you ever been there? To worship. Isaiah said, when I went to worship, as I walked in that day, my friend and my leader was, was not on the throne anymore. He had died. But look, my friend wasn't on the throne that day, but it was that day that I saw the Lord on the throne. Yeah. I saw him. God will use these type of situations to bring us into his presence. Yes. yes. If you allow him. What, 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 and what, what happens? Normally we get to this point, then I've heard people say, well, I get all depressed, I get this, but that's why I smoke, and that's why I drink, because you know, the pressure and everything. My friend, you're right at the cusp of coming to God's presence, but instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life, you put other things in your life, and then he has to back up. You're right there, I don't care how bad it is, and it may be bad, but tribulation assists us in getting into its presence. Don't shortstop it, don't short circuit it. Every time a stress comes, roll up that joint, my friend, pass it over to me. Okay, take that joint, but God's out. Yeah. See, God will use these type of situations to bring us into his presence. All significant worship, if you're really going to worship God, begins with seeing the Lord. Yeah. It, it can't happen either way. If, if you see Anthony on the piano, that doesn't start worship. If Jalou goes, and now we're going to see this, whoa, that doesn't start worship. None of this, none of this starts worship. Worship begins by you. Amen. Seeing the Lord. Come on. Come on. You have to see Him. And then if you get enough of us in this room together and we all saw the Lord, the music just takes us. Yes. Allows us to really enjoy His presence. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. See, if you don't see Him, it is impossible for worship to take place. When you come to church, what do you see? Pastor Sam, Zay, one boy, one girl, a friend, right? What do you see? You pull into your seat, enjoy being with other Christian brothers and sisters, that's cool. You come to sanctuary, you see the worship team, like I said, you see me, but do you see the Lord? Do you see the Lord? And that, that, that takes place here, not here, here, right there. Worship begins when we focus on Jesus. If we go through the entire service without seeing Jesus, we haven't even begun to worship. We haven't, it's going on. It is highly probable 
very probably to come, sing songs, hear a message, and yet never come face to face with Jesus. So many, you know, let's face it, some people come from the wrong reasons, right? Huh? Every Sunday they sing songs about Jesus, they talk about him, they make great prayers in his name, and they listen to the message about the Master every Sunday, and they never really make contact with the Lord of Lords. That's what I'm trying to get us. Not that I want to minimize everything I, I, I'm, I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our worship team. These are very important, but I'm talking so deeper than that. I'm talking about you. You didn't see the Lord? Once you really see the Lord, then you're going to realize how messed up you are. It's like, you know, in the, in the, in, at nighttime, midnight, imagine being at midnight, the windows, can't see them, you got aluminum, aluminum on the windows, you know what I'm talking about. You turn the lights off, it's dark in your bathroom, at midnight. And you look in the mirror, I don't care how ugly you are, you're looking good. <laughs> it's midnight. You look in the mirror, you can't see yourself. See, at midnight, with the lights off, everybody looks the same. Yeah, it's true. Oh, oh. But when you turn the light of Jesus, yeah. all of a sudden, the pimple of their life shows. You know what I'm talking about, those big monster pimples in the middle of your forehead? <laughs> the light's on now. See, when you realize Jesus is holy, all of a sudden you realize how sinful you are. And the closer you get, because you say, you want to be in his presence? Get ready, because when you come into his presence, you are not going to be happy about who you are. You're not. The more I wanted to know about Jesus, the more messed up I became. And I had a perverted thing. Remember, I've shared this many times. I thought just because I stopped drinking and smoking dope and doing cocaine, I was like Jesus. When I first came in, that's what I thought. I, I'm like Jesus. I didn't get high no more. I'm cool. I didn't get credit for being normal. No. When Jesus opens up, all of a sudden he begins to show you. Okay, you ready for me? Are you ready for my presence? Are you ready for me to expose the inmost crevices of your darkness? Are you ready for me to put light on the lying, the cheating, the conniving, and the pride, and the anger, and the lust, and the jealousy? Are you ready for it? See, because we don't want to be exposed like that, most don't want to get into this presence. They just want to look religious. When you get into his presence, he's going to expose you. And when he exposes you, now it's time to change. Well, I don't want to change. Well, you don't have to change. I'm just trying to tell you. The worship, true worship, does this. So you first get revealed, you get the revelation, then you recognize our sinfulness. Right? Yeah. There's something about coming to his presence that should humble you. God's presence causes us to say, I don't have all the answers. Because some people didn't have all the answers. When you come to God's presence, you realize you don't have all the answers. I'm not as smart as I pretend to be. 
So what happens to Isaiah is what happens to us. True worship, it begins to melt us. Then we confess our sin. When God arrived, you see him, and we repent. Amen. No more. I'm not going to be like God. I know I said it won't work in my life, but no, no, no. I came into your presence. I'm done. As soon as Isaiah saw how holy God was, he said, Woe is me. I am ruined. I not, I not only have unclean lips, but I live among the people that have unclean lips. See, Isaiah came into God's presence. He said, man, I'm messed up. Look at me. Then he looked around and he goes, oh my God. We're all messed up. See, there are a couple of realities of knowing that we're close to God. First, we see our sinfulness, and then we see our inadequacies. So you come to me, talk on the process, look at your name, say, the process. See, the realization, step three, of His holiness, that's what you're coming to. You're realizing how holy He is, how righteous He is. How powerful he is. You realize, so again, first you, re, you get a revelation that God is, and then you get a revelation that you're sinful, then you realize not only is that God is, but he's holy. He's holy, and he chooses to talk to us. God is holy. See, once we see him, once we reveal himself to us, we begin to realize and see his holiness. Isaiah 6:3. And one kind of called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The angels began to sing about God's personhood, who God is. They didn't sing about his attributes. They didn't sing about that he was faithful. They didn't say faithful, faithful, faithful. They didn't say almighty, almighty, almighty. No, they said this is who the person of God is. Holy, holy, holy. Amen. Amen. The angels looked at him and said, but the angels knew. Why? Just to cover up. Because he was, that angel understood God's presence. He's holy. We dare come before a God in sin and lift our hands. And notice the preposition there. I said, we. He's holy. And we're not. See, with all the things that surround, everything becomes shadows in the light of Him. Everything around us becomes shadows. What am I saying? Because sometimes all these other things, they get in the way of how holy He is, how beautiful He is. Why? Because we're all caught up with everything else. Even now, my message, I understand, my message is pretty hard. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not. I'm really. But I understand that everything else in life seems just a little bit more important than God. Because we're all caught up. We all got to pay our utility bill. We all got to pay our car payment. We all got to pay our rent. We all have to eat. And these things seem so important. Hmm. 
to always reveal the truth about us because you and I live in such an unholy and unhealthy world. See, holiness is like a magnet. Holiness. It begins to draw us up when we begin to see it. So when you see his holiness, you're not going to run when you see it. Why? Because you're going to realize, you know, I need that. Despite everything else, it's like a magnet. What does the light do when you turn the light out on night? When you turn the light out on night, what happens? All the bugs right? And I hate to say this, but we're like the bugs of his holiness. Are you with me? When you turn on his holiness and you come in his presence, all of a sudden it just draws you to him. But even though you know, you know that's, that's too heavy, but you can't help yourself because it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's everything I ever imagined, everything I ever wanted. It just draws you and draws you and draws you. If it were not true, we wouldn't even seek to come to any church. Why would we seek to come to any church if we weren't drawn by its holiness? And you may not know it's that, but it is that because of that spirit man in you, that spirit being that's crying out, Abba, Father, it's crying out. It wants to attack, be attached to where it came from. Yes, yes. It needs to attach to where it came from. It needs it. Yes. It can't live without it. So it's drawing you, it's drawing you. But at the same time, you have that flesh, that flesh monster, that you, that desire that's pulling you back. No, no, and there's the battle. His holiness is drawing you and drawing you in your flesh. Says, no! What do we choose? What do we choose? See, when God allows you to see his holiness, you want to migrate towards him. Why? Because I think we want to be like Jesus. Why? We want to be like Jesus because why? Because I'm gonna tell you, because life, life is disappointing. We want to be like Jesus, why? Because life is discouraging. We want to be like Jesus because we know life is dismal. And if we live long enough, we know that life is dirty. We've all experienced that. Who in the world wants that? But when somebody like me says no, Jesus wants you. It draws you. That spirit in you says, I want to be like that. I got to get to him. That's what Isaiah did. He didn't run. He, didn't, he understood that he was messed up. He understood that he was holy. But he also understood that that's where I want to be. Yes. That's what he understood. Isaiah looked up on him and said, Look at God. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Everything else in life is fleeting. No one explains it better than King Solomon when he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless and chasing after the wind. He continued in verse 20. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Oh, you can live life tape, laboring and toiling after whatever. But at the end of life, then what? If all if you've given all everything you have to this life, then what do you have? For eternity. 
And most give all that they, they shoot their shot. They give it all for this life. And in the end, have nothing. We'll do a panel there. So everything else in life pulls us down. But when, when we see the holiness of God, when you really see God, something lifts you up. Oh, it hit me. But man, when I seen God, it's, I made it real easy to say no to this, no to that, no to this, and no to that. Uh-oh, I ain't doing that. Uh-oh, why? Because I know God. And then you can reason, well, what about my wife, my, my, my family, my kids? And these are all good reasons. But listen, those are not good reasons enough. If it were so, there would be no divorce. If it were so, there would be no men uh, blowing their, uh, up their relationship. If it were so. If we could take that and say, that's enough to keep you right, it would, it would, the life would be different. 51% of Christians wouldn't be getting divorced if it were so. So it's not so. The only thing that can lift you up is when you you seek God's holiness and you want to be like him, when you want to worship him, when you want to do that, that'll lift you up and say, no more! No more. My friend, I just described worship. That's worship. Worship. So when we come to worship, it's not something that Pastor Roma can put up on a platter and give it to you. Can't do that. True worship is not an easy formula. And all of a sudden, boom, you have true worship. It's a process. What happens in our heart, our mind, and our will, it begins to align itself with God. In those moments, we realize God is here. God is with me. Because I'm doing things that I would never do before. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm being grieved by things that would never bother me before. Things that I used to be able to watch, I cannot watch no more. Things I used to be able to say, I choose not to say no more. Not because I can't, because I understand, so I've seen God, and I know that God doesn't like that. God doesn't like that. Flesh and blood cannot reveal God. All I can do is point. Oh, that's all I can do. You have to do the work. No. On your own time. We point to him through a message. We point to him through music. We point to him through our good testimony. All I can do is point. But you have to say, I received the process. I want everybody to know right close. Give everybody right close. I want to ask those of us who say, I wanna, I wanna go through a process. I welcome the process. And it's not a bad thing, really. It's not something to be afraid of. Unless you just don't want God. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to sing this song. And if you welcome God's process, if you welcome a time where perhaps God will see fit to reveal himself to you, 
invite you, as we sing this song, the altar will open.